Welcome to another edition of Australian Survivor Talking Tribal, where we go deep on this season of Australian Survivor Blood versus Water. This episode, we're going to be talking about 19 and 20. So if you haven't caught up, if you don't know what's going on, there's heaps of spoilers going to be happening, of course. So you might want to check out those two eps before you go any further on 10 Play On Demand. Joining us as they do every single week on Talking Tribal, is our expert panel, the fastest voice in the West, George himself, a woman who knows more about the game than possibly anyone else because she's won it, our reigning soul survivor, Haley, and podcast extraordinaire and survivor expert, Shannon Gus. Hey, guys. Another big week. Probably one of my favorite weeks, actually. A lot of twists, a lot of turns, a lot of tears blindsides and a few thrills as well. I'm sure you enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, Shannon, let's start with you. Purgatory. I mean, it must be frustrating to vote people off and then see them come back into the game again. How common is a concept like that? Yeah, at this point, it's pretty much expected in Australian Survivor that around this point in the merge, people will go to something like Redemption Rock or Exile Island, which we've had a few times. This was probably most similar to Exile Island in All Stars where three people got voted to exile. But I think what was really powerful about this is it's the most people we've ever seen come back with three people coming back from Purgatory. They made like a really tight alliance. They were bonded through that. Even people like KJ and Shay, who haven't worked together much, were really, really connected. So kind of the power of that connection, the drive to really make something happen when you have a second chance in the game, and also a really powerful advantage that can definitely cause some damage. Haley, talk a little bit about your experience, you know, leaving the game, having to come back. What impact does that have on the players who voted you out? And then in terms of what power you have when you return to the game? Yeah, these three players moving coming back into the game really had to stick together um, to make sure that they had some sort of power they could move forward with and we could see that they've done that. They were all going to be targets because the majority alliance could tell that they had bonded over their experience. So it was smart that they did stick together. I must say, look, I am a fan of watching someone come back and get their redemption and fight their way back into the game. I'm pretty biased, but I think that was really fun to watch. And so, George, with that in mind, we know that's happened in the past and we know that something was up when they went to tribal. Should the guys have known that maybe whoever they were voting out might have been going to purgatory and they could have expected them back? Would that have changed how they voted? I think they did know, James. I think when everybody realised that Shay didn't come back as a member of the jury, that obviously there was purgatory in play or redemption rock or something, a mechanism where a eliminated player would have an opportunity to return back in the game. I think what the players could not have foreseen was the fact that so damn many of them were going to come back in the game. And for someone like Sam, who had done so much groundwork and legwork to get people out, to get her enemy out in Geordie, to get some people out like KJ and Michelle who were floating under the radar and Shay, who she's clearly been targeting for two or three weeks now in the game. It was mission accomplished as far as she was concerned. And then they all come back as a voting block. And then you have Juicy Dave drift off in the wind, change his mind, and then all this work is for nothing. And Sam's now joined the jury benches. So it's incredibly frustrating as a player when people that have been voted off come back. But it was a bit different here compared to when Haley came back. She was one of nine, so she had a very different approach to take. Whilst Geordie, Shay and KJ coming back are a voting block of three out of nine, and really they only needed two to be a majority. And then when we saw the twist happen, it was only just one more that was needed to change their mind. 
Yeah, you have to feel bad, I think, for Sam specifically. It was a running theme in the pre-merge that her targets that she voted out kept coming back and that she had it with Purgatory. And then at the auction, she bids on a covered item. But KJ gets a different covered item, which is a massive, massive twist in the game and advantage that she can use against Sam, get her to burn some social capital. So it was all those things combined that built on top of each other that, that caused her to go out of the game. So she's had it really, really rough when it comes up against the rules of the game. Sam must hold a record now for the most amount of people that you voted out that have come back into the game. Like surely no one else has had that many people that you blindside return. Haley, do you think that they could have played it differently once they had an inkling that maybe whoever they were voting out might be going to purgatory? Do you think they could have thought, "Mm, maybe we don't get rid of the most threatening people or the deadwood? Maybe we need to play this a little bit more strategically? Honestly, I would have done what they did. Like if they had broken up their alliance, they say they sent Dave there or Chrissy there or Jordan there, then they would have bonded still on purgatory and we would have had three people come back from purgatory, but they would have been forming a new majority. I, I would have done the same thing that they have done here in knowing that you have to send the minority home because they have a chance of coming back in the game. It's essentially the same thing that happened on mine and George's season when we had an urn in play. It meant that you didn't want to make a big move because you wanted to hold your majority strong. So when they come back, you still have numbers. I think that they just got really unlucky here that there was such a powerful twist that sent three people home from tribal council. Now, Shay, obviously, she's been on the chopping block for a long time. She's gone to purgatory, come back from purgatory. I mean, when she was in purgatory, she even said in one of her confessionals there, look, I'm going to play it differently. I'm going to go about this in a new way. Haven't quite seen that, though, have we? I did see them mentioning on purgatory that they were going to pretend that they're not tight and that they were going to not talk to each other very much and um, just try to crack the majority open. I suspect they didn't have much opportunity to do that. I don't think that the majority was open to a lot of conversations for the the minority, so I don't know if Shay, KJ and Geordie had that opportunity to, to break in. Yeah, I think Shay has played in a similar way, obviously giving up the lettuce, for example, which is kind of, which is really, you know, there's nothing else you could do in that situation. But it continues to be a soft social approach, for example. But I think where we see maybe that second life come in is for someone like KJ. Like she has this powerful advantage and you could think she might play it defensively, obviously send them out of tribal council so that they're safe. She plays it much more offensively to have a longer term crack. And I do wonder if some of that mentality about the second chance are kind of just being playing with house money at that point because you shouldn't even be there. I wonder if it kind of pushes you to take that bigger risk for a bigger result. George, speaking of KJ's advantage there, once you saw what it was, were you sort of playing those permutations in your mind, the best way to use it most effectively? Well, I just think from the outset, KJ definitely made the right decision in terms of how she played her advantage. I'm just screaming at my TV screen, leave your alliance behind and use it as a tool to bring somebody over. So well played to KJ. The real question that I have on KJ was the timing of when she played her advantage. So we heard in the clue that she could play it either at the tribal council that she did or the tribal council where Sam ended up going home. And given that KJ was not a target at that tribal council, maybe she could have held on to it and made her move a little bit later. But at the end of the day, it was the correct move. The pressure of the situation made David capitulate and fold. He drifted off to the misfit alliance, as Geordie has called it, from Purgatory, the Purga 3. And now they are in control of the game. So 
KJ has set this situation up from that fantastic advantage. I'm really proud of the way that she's weaponized it, and it's looking good for the final part of the end game for her. I would say that KJ played that idol at the right tribal council because she needed those numbers. She needed one person to flip over. And if she'd have waited till later, she would have had a more difficult numbers advantage because she would have lost either. Well, she probably would have lost Geordie. So then I think it made a lot of sense for her to play the idol at the tribal that she did. Yeah, losing a number like Geordie would have been pretty bad for them considering that they didn't even have a majority, even with sending out half of the majority. Like They were still really, really battling with those numbers. So they needed every single number that they could get and couldn't afford to lose anyone. But I really, really love the way that KJ played the advantage. One of my favorite things that she did was she vocalized at the tribal council how she did it because had she protected them and made sure that they were safe and sent out her own minority, she feels Juicy Dave would have gone. And that shows him that they really see him as on the bottom, which I think was was pretty clear even to the audience. And it shows that they're willing to risk their game for him because that's how important he is as a number to them. So I think she's kind of waiting and playing it defensively. Um, you do risk that majority staying together and just picking off someone like Dave rather than fracturing themselves. And this way, there's risk. Like you could go to rocks, you could go home in that way. But if you manage to flip someone over, as we see, it's a longer term gain. So I thought really, really well done. And a big difference, I think, with, with George's initial advantage in the first tribal council is that George is still trying to like ascertain tribe dynamics and kind of build those tribe dynamics with the advantage. But KJ has more than a month at this point of knowing the dynamic of seeing where Juicy Dave sits and being able to use that information to her advantage and make a new majority out of what was a minority. I actually agree with you, Shannon, but it only worked because Sam didn't play her idol at that tribal council. If Sam does play her idol, then Geordie goes home. So I'm not sure if KJ factored that into account. I mean, hypothetically, if Juicy Dave was over the line, they probably could have done a 2-2 vote to guarantee either Sam or Geordie going home, but they didn't. I think the risk in what she did was that they would go to rocks, but I really can't understand why Juicy Dave flipped here, and it's truly the key talking point of the week, because he's decided to go from the bottom of a stable majority alliance that has been governing this game for at least the past two weeks in real time to the bottom of an alliance that's only been cobbled together on purgatory where he wasn't, and then it's just like he's, he's risking stability for an alliance of essentially people that have nothing in common apart from having gone to purgatory. But he's done it. He's in that camp now, but he's created a lot of bad blood in the same process, which is not what you want to be doing in this stage of the game, particularly for no reason. Just in terms of splitting the vote, I think the risk there is that if Dave doesn't flip, you've now ruined your own chance of a tie and even going to and having that opportunity because you've just like three, two, one yourself out of the game. So I understand there was risk there against the idol, but they were willing to take the risk to get themselves like as far as they could with some of those numbers and really try to flip Dave. But I do think I like that Dave flipped because if anything, he should have flipped a very long time ago. Like this whole time we've been screaming for the people on the bottom to flip. And he was absolutely cornered to that decision, 100%. I don't know that I credit him with it. I like some of the stuff he was doing later to consolidate those numbers. He's not in a great jury position either way. He's either like with the power player alliance or with like the scrappy underdogs that everyone wants to see win. Like, I don't know if there's a winning game here for Juicy Dave, but like he was doing some of his best moves in the whole season this week. I agree. I think that Dave has made the right decision. Like he took himself out of being a potential to going home at rocks by sticking with those three. And then he has made a move of sorts. He needed to get himself away from a majority alliance, which he probably couldn't win against any of them really. 
maybe there's one or two, but um, he was in a dangerous position sticking with that majority. So moving across here, at least he's showing some moves that he's doing. He's making some choices that are different to just following along. And I think it's a, it is good because he should have made a move probably a little bit earlier, but at least he's doing something now. But in reality, he's following along. He's, this is not a plan that he's come up with. He used to follow along Sam, Mark and Josh's plans, and now he's following along with KJ and Geordie's plans. It's, he's just gone from driftwood on one side to driftwood on the other. But this is the point in the game where you really have to look around you and say, who can I sit next to and have a chance of winning? And George, you and I did this at the exact same moment. We looked around when there was about eight people left and said, who do we think we could actually beat? We made an active choice not to go anywhere near going to the end with a brawn. And I see he might be doing the same thing. He looks at Mark, Josh, Sam and says, maybe I shouldn't be moving towards the end with these people. And, you know, there's no point getting to the end unless you think that you can try to win. So maybe that's what he's doing here. It's a really tough spot because you think, okay, well, maybe I'll switch over and sit next to some of these people who've been on the bottom and not had power. But in in switching over to them, you are empowering them with this like epic big move. So then are you sitting next to someone like KJ, who is the one who's like made that vocal and impressive move? I think that that is obviously a really, really difficult spot for Juicy Dave. But what I think he did well was following through on that in the next vote. Like we saw something really similar to this in All Stars where after the Exile Island and many people got voted out and it actually caused the 6-3 majority, one person split off, made it what should be 5-3, but Jackie had split as a swing in that day position out was 4-4. And she actually immediately went because then she kind of became not super important to either side. And Dave could have been in that position, but I think, with some of the different dynamics and also by kind of helping, I think a lot in pulling Josh over in the next episode, he manages to maintain power. And at least those things are moves that he could credit at the end. Although I do think that he has a really, really difficult time, no matter who he's sitting next to in what looks like it'll be the first final three as well in Australian survivor history. So it is a tough road at the final tribal council for him either way. Tricky to see who he'll be able to beat, but you're right. At least he's making some moves. You talked earlier there about Shay playing more of a soft social game, and that came to the fore at the end of the auction, where she had the choice to receive her own letter or let everyone else have letters from home. Shannon, over the years, I'm sure you've cried a lot watching Survivor, but I was a hot mess watching this particular part of the episode i mean she obviously did the right thing it's a bit of a no-brainer isn't it but such an emotional moment there for josh and the whole tribe james if i'm not crying in an episode of survivor something is wrong (laughs) this was such a beautiful moment this is i mean maybe the best letter in survivor history you know not to be hyperbolic but like how often do you see someone who struggled with fertility why not they're going to be a dad live on tv like what a privilege for us all to be part of that moment um it did remind me of jeremy collins in the u.s there's a beautiful moment that I remember bawling at where his wife, a former player even, comes out in the, in the loved one's challenge and whispers in his ear that his unborn baby is going to be a boy. So we've definitely had some fertility news on Survivor in the past, but every single time it absolutely gets me. And I did not have dry eyes. I can't admit that. I agree. This was such an amazing moment. I loved watching this. It also did bring me back to Jeremy Collins. It's interesting because Jeremy kept that a secret the whole time. It's just, yeah, so special to get that news out there. And really interesting that when Josh comes to the next um, challenge, he admits it's it's hard because it makes you feel like, yes, I want to win now, but also I'm desperate to get home and see my family. James, when you're lying down there at night, you really get to know a lot of your fellow castmates, families and personal situations. So Josh receiving that news, you could, you could see the emotion from all of their tribe mates. You could see the emotion 
when KJ was reading about her children, when Chrissy got that wonderful coloured picture from her children. It's a time when the game kind of like sets aside and everybody gets a bit of a spring in their step to get that message from home. And it was lovely to see. But you can see how our brains were because obviously like all of us and Haley alluded to it, like we're crying and it's a beautiful emotional moment, but like half of our brain is thinking, ah, I wish he got to read that in private because that just made him a massive, massive threat. Like what a beautiful story. He has a you know, baby to go and take care of that $500,000 would be very helpful for. And that story just gets you. So it just made him more of a threat. So a big part of me was like, this is beautiful. And I wish that you had read it somewhere off, off screen, somewhere without everyone else. For you guys, George and Haley, when you see something like that, there are moments throughout the game, obviously, where despite alliances and divisions and blind sides that you're plotting, like the real humanity of who you're playing with comes to the fore. Is it hard then to separate that and go, okay, I need to be a cold-blooded killer in the moment when I need to blindside someone? Well, as as a cold-blooded killer, I'd have to say no because you've just got to do what you need to do to, uh, to keep progressing in the game. But it, it's a human game. You live with these people. You have this life bond with people. I have this lifelong connection with Hayley and my other castmates that I'll never be able to take away. No one can take that away from me. And it's the same with these casts. So you get to know everybody's intricate family situations. You, you know all their children's names. You, get, you know where they go to school because you lie down at night and you talk about everything. And that's the human moment. And then when the real world collides with the survivor world, it's overwhelming. Um, when I got the letter from home from my dog, it, it meant the world to me. And then when I read Haley's letter from her fiancé, Jimmy, when we merged, I, I got excited for her. I, I was smiling when I was reading it. So that's that's kind of the impact that the game has on you. It bonds you in ways that you could never imagine. And then when these touching moments come from home, it, it, it just means the world to you and your tribe mates. And look at how these warring factions all kind of rally around Josh, obviously in this life moment. I mean, they, they've been voted out to purgatory. Like that's how big the divide has been and will be tomorrow. You know, they're going to vote out his cousin tomorrow. But for like that moment, the arms are laid down. And I think you realize like what is so beautiful about Survivor. Like the whole point of the show is meant to be you backstab the people that you sleep next to at night. And those relationships are absolutely critical and what makes the game so difficult to manage because it's absolutely a complex situation. You do become really close with everyone and then to vote them out and to, to end a dream of theirs, it can be really hard. The reality is, though, that you're going to gun for them, they're going to gun for you, so keeping that in mind really helps. Although I must say, in these episodes, it was interesting for me. Obviously, Josh is going to be really furious when Jordan is gone home and that he's upset with the minority for doing it. But, like, in my mind, he's already voted them out, so it's a bit rich to be like, I'm really mad at you for voting my cousin out. It's like, yeah, well, you voted me out. <laughs> And that's speaking of Josh, a real emotional moment for him, but we also saw him win an individual immunity challenge. Where do you guys put him now in terms of his threat level and his ability to win the whole thing, knowing that he's a bit of an all-rounder, he's got a good-ish social game, he's pretty much able to dominate physically when he steps up, like we saw. Where do you place him? Josh is playing a really good game. I think he's in a bit of a dangerous spot because he is quite a threat. People have seen that he has led a majority alliance. He has the capacity to win immunity challenges. He seems very likable. I just feel like everyone keeps going to him for information or reassurance. So from my point of view, it seems like Josh has been playing a really good game. So I think he should be a little bit worried that people will be gunning for him at this point. 
Yeah, Josh is, seems to be close to everybody still, which is a very good position to be in, particularly when you're good at those rare puzzles that appear at this stage of the game and the physical side of the game as an MMA athlete, which he is. So he's close to Chrissy and Mark. Um, he's clearly flipped to have a bit of a relationship with the Geordie, KJ, Dave crew over there. And he might be in the middle of both alliances, which could be a blessing and a curse at this stage, because if the two warring factions decide to agree on a compromise, Josh might be a very good one. Yeah, I will go a bit against the grain and say that I feel like if I had to put money on who would go next, I might say Josh. Like he is a huge threat for all the reasons that have been stated, the personal story, kind of the leadership role. And I thought for what's been a very stable player, the double dealing uh, in the second episode of flipping against Sam and Mark, but telling them to play the idol for me, like that was a bold, bold play for someone who's been pretty down the line. Um, and what worries me is while I completely understand that Flip and Sam and Mark were way, way too powerful. And at a point they were just going to run away with it if he didn't stop it, if not earlier, like at least now he's needed that shield. I totally get it. But at a point, that they have way too much power in the game. So I get the flip, but it's the double dealing for me. He kind of comes back and he's not really on the same page with anyone other than maybe Chrissy, who he, he didn't even vote with. So it's that lack of connections for me. It's the lack of protection that someone like Mark has, and it's the threat level, and I could 100% see that getting him next. Do you think that Mark is going to be upset with Josh for having done that? I think Josh deciding to vote for Sam and then to turn to Mark and say, play your idol for her is just ridiculous, to be honest. If he really wanted that idol flushed and Sam saved, he should have turned around to Mark and said, I've actually voted for Sam. If you don't play the idol, she goes. Speaking of Josh Haley, Josh is an MMA enthusiast. He's a fan of the show and he's just completed a tower puzzle. What is the only appropriate course of action there? Josh should have been kicking that down, Michelle style, winner of Brain vs. Brombos, Beauty in America, and also she did this twice. She, this is the only appropriate response for a superfan when you win that challenge. Yeah, I don't know that the win was valid without kicking it. Like, I, it didn't feel to me like he'd won immunity. I was like, you haven't done the final thing. You haven't rung the bell. So it honestly pained me that we didn't see, we didn't see him kick it. Obviously, Josh isn't a huge Michelle Fitzgerald fan. I'm just glad that Josh, as a pilot, was able to build a control tower. Guys, I wanted to talk to you about the elimination, starting off with Jordan. He was sort of collateral damage there in the end. How do you think that played out in terms of Sam's decision-making? Could she have played it differently? Was there an advantage to her saving him? I think what Sam did, again, is just extraordinary and really is part of the reason why Sam Gash has elevated herself to one of the true legends of Australian Survivor. To pull off a fake idle play, a fake handover, and to have the confidence under pressure to make every single player believe that she had her husband's idol, not even her own one that nobody believes exists, is absolutely fantastic. And that is the reason why Jordan went home, because the Minority Alliance, led by KJ, didn't want to take the chance of voting Sam, her playing her idol, and then one of them going home. So... Phenomenal play by Sam. Yes, Jordan was collateral, but what could you possibly expect Sam to do? Just lie down and concede defeat? She did the right thing. I felt that Sam was doing a lot here. Maybe a little bit too much. You know, again, I'm bringing up old wounds, but it reminded me, the situation she was placed in reminded me of Haley being faced against a massive, massive twist as Haley was when there was just one person voting at the final 12 in Brains versus Braun. She's got these three people leaving. It's a huge twist. And like Haley, she had to burn social capital to miraculously make it through that. And I, and I am impressed by that. 
I just feel that Sam burned more social capital than was necessary, whereas like Haley gave everything she kind of could and needed to in that vote. I feel like the passive implicit immunity of her probably having an idol would have been enough, but like double dealing so much and going to the other side as much as she was, clearly that burned her in the next vote. And Josh felt kind of really bad about the fact that she had been pretty self-interested and so much just trying to work across the aisle with that. So really, really difficult situation, but I don't feel that it was perfect. Um, I also felt like the Perga 3, I totally understand not taking the risk and, and making sure Jordan goes home, but that is not how someone who will play an idol will act. Like if you have an idol and you're going to play it, you don't need to desperately try to get the vote off you. So obviously it worked to get it off her, but that is counterintuitive to how someone who actually has an idol to play and will play it is going to act. Yeah, Sam's someone who always needs to know she's done everything she possibly can and like feel a little bit of control in situations that really are often out of your control. I think one key mistake here was the reflex at the very end to throw out that scarf and show everyone, actually, I didn't even have an idol. Wasn't necessary. I can see that it would just be like this instinct thing that you do, but it revealed (laughs) such um, ability to deceive that would have made everyone feel like, what? Like she could have just gone back home and been like, yeah, no, I did have the idol in my bag and they would have never known. And this is the poker player coming out of me, but sometimes you really just need to call people's bluffs. I remember back at One Tribal Council on Brains, Rachel was pretending that she had an idol and then the whole Tribal Council she was talking about and I just turned around to her and said, show us, show us your idol. And when she didn't, it was very clear she didn't have one. So... The other players could have called Sam's bluff, but I'm not so kind of like accepting of the fact that it's Sam's fault that Jordan went home because the other three people wrote down Jordan's name. You could have had the Perga 3 pick Dave as a compromised target and they still could have sailed through, but I don't necessarily think Sam is the reason why Jordan went home and why Josh got upset as he eventually did. I wouldn't blame Sam for anything here. I think she's done a really good job at saving herself in a situation that was very dicey and where she didn't even have her idol. Interesting choice for her and Mark not to take the idol, but really amazing acting yet again for Mark to pass off something to her. In that moment, I was like, Mark, you're being so obvious. You're being like a very car at Tribal Council right now. Like, but then realizing later that he was doing it on purpose so that everyone thought that she had the idol when she didn't. They're just great actors, these two, and they're doing a very good job. You want to look like you've been accidentally caught out in trying to do something subtle, which I think is what Mark was doing, but then Sam took it further. I think when you say to someone like, I have an idol and I'm going to play it, so don't vote for me, that's when alarm bell should be ringing that why are you trying so hard to get me not to vote for you? You have an idol. You're going to play it. You're fine. But I totally understand the panic in that situation. I think it was a really, really tough spot. But we do see that Josh was expecting a lot, maybe like a hot potato type thing of like passing it around, trying to get the doubt of all of them. But of course, it's completely Sam's prerogative to play with her own acting skills, her own threat of her, her, of her idol to get through that and not kind of blanket the whole alliance. Shannon, what's your take on why Sam revealed that at the end? Do you think there's an element of she felt almost guilty if they thought she had the idol, she could have potentially saved Jordan? What do you think was going through her head or was just uh, an instinct at the time? No, I think that Sam has spent very many rounds at this point trying to show that she doesn't have an idol or that she and Mark don't have two idols. 
So I think one of the good things about holding on to the idol the whole time, and even Mark now having two idols with her being gone, is you still have that element of surprise. You don't reveal the lie. She was very, very scared of, well, the lie coming out and revealing that she'd been this type of lethal player the whole time. So I think revealing saying, I didn't even have an idol here. It makes it look less likely that there are two idols because to be completely unprotected in that way seems when you have two idols, like that seems like that would never happen. So I think it's just, she's trying to balance the the threat of being able to act like that and have implicit immunity with the threat of people knowing that she's that actually protected with idols. And the fact that they didn't bring those two idols to tribal council that night really started indicating to me there that they were pretty happy to kamikaze one of them for the sake of the other one getting further in the game with both idols because they didn't bring either of them to that tribal. And then at the next one, when Josh pretty much tells Sam, it's you, use your idol, she still doesn't. And I think that really shows that Sam and Mark have made a decision at this point that They just need one of them left in the game with two idols and ideally one of them being, you know, veiled in secrecy. That's very clear because I think they've made a point, Sam in particular, where she is aware enough of the jury's feelings to know that Mark has a better chance of winning the game that she has. And that's the reason why Sam turns to Mark and goes, it's up to you whether you play it or not. She basically encouraged him not to play it. I think that is an interesting decision. When I was in a similar part of the game, I decided to burn social capital but keep Kara in the game, and that just made a bitter jury even more bitter against me. But Sam's done the right thing here, I think, because it leaves a very dominant player at the physical side of the game who has friendly relations with people and two idols in his backpack with seven players left in the game. Her husband's looking quite well, but she has to go on the jury bench. That's the sacrifice that she's made. I am fascinated by this because it's the first time in Survivor's history that we can kind of work back on what is this common theory. And that theory is like better to play an idol and be wrong about it and just burn something and just be too conservative than get set home with an idol in your pocket. But this is the first time that that's actually not true. The worst thing they could ever do would be to play an idol wrong for no reason and just waste one. Whereas they've lost a player and she does go home with technically idols that could protect her. But because Mark is still there, it's actually better to sacrifice her. They now have the warning shot. Mark knows exactly where he stands with a ton of protection. He does have the element of surprise where they maybe think that he has less because he didn't protect her. And he maintains that social capital without revealing Sam's lie. Um, Again, because they wouldn't necessarily think that there were two idols because she isn't protected. So I think there's a lot of good stuff there in sacrificing her. And obviously with the blood versus water element, it works very, very differently to what we say of like, just keep yourself safe, just get to the next round. But Sam doesn't need to because Mark's going to do it for her and he's going to be very, very well shielded when he does. Feels like Mark is stronger when it comes to most of the challenges. So do you think that's come into it, Hayley, when they've chatted in the quiet of the night about who, when it comes to it, has to fall on their sword? So now Mark is left in the game with seven people there. He has two idols. You can use them up to final five. But we can see that Mark has won challenges already. So, yes, I think Mark and Sam would have looked at that to try to decide which of them should stay in the game. Definitely what was mentioned before, that uh, Mark seems to have better social capital because Sam has burnt some bridges. (laughs) Clearly, looking at Jesse's facial expressions on that jury when Sam was getting voted out. So... It is better for the two of them to leave Mark in the game. Someone, if he wins one more individual challenge, immunity challenge in the next three, then he's made it to the top four because he's got his two idols. 
Like he's just got so much safety right now to get really far as long as he uses those idols correctly. Mark can ride his wave right to the end by just playing his jewellery, and that's a choice that he's going to make. But you're absolutely spot on, Haley. He needs one immunity win in the next three to guarantee himself an appearance at that final immunity challenge. So he's looking really well. He's looking really well. And Jesse was, like, he was delighted when Sam got voted off. It's very clear that in real time there, um, Jesse was not happy with Sam and wouldn't be voting for her. It's the same with Geordie at a final tribal council. You only need to see how upset Jordan was at the night that Sam got voted off. And Sam has read the room. She knows that Mark is more likely to win. And a win for Mark is a win for both of them, as they said in our premiere episode. So she's self-sacrificed. It's a shame to lose our ice queen. But, man, did she leave a huge legacy behind in our game. Yeah, I don't know that they had so much choice in who went. Like, Mark happened to an immunity there. It's obviously up to the other players who gets voted out. I feel for them it was all about timing. And I think Mark has set up very well. Sam was my winner pick until now, and it's definitely getting transferred over to Mark. He also has shields in front of him with someone like Geordie, who's really been painted as a threat. Josh, who we've discussed as a threat. So he's very, very well insulated. But I think for both of them, the numbers were just about, okay, we have two people and two idols. How far can we push it to get that warning shot, to get that sacrifice? And then one person's just going to stay. They're both good at challenges. They both would have at that point, either one of them would have both idols. And it's like, how long can we hang on until the end game? And we're just going to push as hard as we can at that point. Let's stay on Mark for just a moment. So he's got two idols. So he's safe for a couple of weeks in theory. And, you know, potentially he could do very well at winning another immunity challenge. Haley, how does that change how you play the game, knowing that you have a little bit of safety, you have a little bit of comfort going forward, you're not continually having to scramble to keep your name from being written down? Can you then focus more on who you're going to take to the end or who you're going to surround yourself with? How does that change your mindset? Honestly, like when I would sit at a travel council wearing an immunity necklace around my neck, it felt so different. Like you were so much calmer. You know it's not you. You do have this clarity of mind to be thinking about who do you want out of this game and what's the best people for you to sit next to. So I think that that will be massive for Mark, just knowing that he's going to be safe. And like he he has power now because he has two idols. He could play one and everyone will be like, yeah, okay, well, we knew you had an idol. And then the votes could load on him and he could play another and then get someone specific he wants out of the game. Like he just has a lot of power right now and clarity of mind to be able to really line up an end game in a way that suits him incredibly well. Although we have seen James in Survivor China, he went home with two idols at the final seven. It was the exact same numbers as here. So I think there's a slight difference between having individual immunity where you're just blanket safe to having an idol where you have to kind of weigh up. Should you play it? It's like two in three rounds. So if he doesn't win immunity, there's going to be the pressure of that decision and kind of like the curse of having that much power, which I think can be also pretty daunting. I think Mark is pragmatic enough to take the conservative approach with his two idols. There's no point right now with Sam having essentially sacrificed her entire game for him to enable him to go right to the end, not to play the idol. So the maths is quite simple. If he plays one idol, he's in the top six. If he plays the second idol, he's in the top five. And if he wins one immunity challenge, he makes it to that final immunity challenge where he can try and chance his arm and win the title of sole survivor. That is quite good right now. And Yes, when you're immune, you have the ability to relax, but sometimes that breeds complacency. And I hope 
That's what Mark doesn't do. When you've got the guillotine on your neck, James, it forces you into action. It forces you to do things, to keep on your toes and to read the state of the game and to read the state of play. That's part of the reason why I always knew what was happening because I needed to, otherwise I'd be going home. So I hope Mark doesn't get complacent. He needs to play his idols. It's the only thing that he should be doing right now, but he needs to stay on his toes, and I'm hoping that he does for his sake. All right. What about the alliances as they stand? Do you think we're going to see any changes? Do you think Mark, Josh and Chrissy will uh, maybe real dive in to take the majority again? What, what do you think are the numbers going forward? What does it look like to you, Shannon? I think the alliance game is over. I think we're at what we call voting blocks where it is just all broken up and it's like what groups can work together. So we definitely have the Perga three and they're probably the biggest, strongest alliance somehow still in this game. They're, they're actually the most solid group um, after not even being at the game at a point. Then I think you have Juicy Dave kind of floating by himself. He could maybe work across the aisle with Josh and he possibly just joins to really make that four and maybe they become just the, the clear majority. Then I think that you have Mark by himself and I think that you have Josh and Chrissy as a pair. So it's going to be about what kind of forms together to take out threats. Are they going to go after someone like Josh who kind of was working with no one? Will they take a shot at Mark um, and just kind of go after that individual threat? I think it's going to be very, very dynamic. The real interesting thing about the dynamic is that Geordie is finally in the numbers. It's his block of four is the majority, and he's essentially been a very effective leader of the opposition since he came back from purgatory. He's cobbled together his opposing block. He's been very negative for the majority that's been in control of the game, and now the destiny is in his hands. Can Geordie govern? That's going to be the test of his game right now. And it's very difficult to sometimes transition from being negative in opposition to having a platform that can cobble an alliance together and to hold them together. If Geordie can do that, he should be in the top four with Juicy Dave, KJ and Shay. But we'll have to wait and see whether he can hold it together. Let's talk a little bit about Josh. He was full of emotion, obviously, seeing his cousin sent home. His anger was sort of misdirected initially, but that turned around and got aimed at Sam. How do you feel about how he ended up playing, especially at the Tribal Council? I absolutely can't understand why Josh feels anger at Sam when it was Geordie, KJ, Shay and Juicy Dave that ended up voting for Jordan. I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous to be standing there to someone who literally voted off your cousin and then they successfully shifted the blame to another player. I think credit where credit's due. I think Geordie did a good job in terms of blame shifting with Josh, but I can't understand Josh in this situation, to be completely frank with you. I think that Josh taking a go at voting for Sam does make sense in my mind because what we've got is the last couple, which is very powerful, left in the game with one, maybe two idols. And knowing that, I think that Josh really needs to try to weaken them in some way. I think everybody needs to try to weaken them in some way. So he can take a shot at trying to vote her out and then tell her to use her idol. That weakens them by using that idol. Or he can take her out. Either outcome for those two things weakens the Mark and Sam combo, which probably is good for Josh and is good for everybody in the game. 
Yeah, I mean, the flip I thought needed to come. For me, at first when I saw him with the double play and kind of vaguely telling them to play the idol on his own vote to protect against his flip, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But the, the, the more I thought about it, the less I liked it as a move, especially for someone who kind of needs to be as stable as Josh does. It's just like if you're working with everybody, you're working with nobody. And he betrayed basically everyone in the game just in those two kind of counter interactions. I feel like for me it was a bit much in what is becoming like a decreasing numbers game puts a big, big target on him and doesn't kind of insulate him with the social relationships that have kept him really strong so far. The magic number is four out of seven. Josh is not in the four. Josh is in a minority of three with his close ally Chrissy and Mark, who's clearly not going to be happy that Sam's been blindsided. And to turn around to Mark and to say, play your idol for Sam, that doesn't quite just cut it for me. If he really wanted to burn the idol, Josh should have turned around to Mark and said, I've just voted for Sam. If you don't play the idol for her, she goes home. Are you okay with that? Really put the onus on him. That would be future blame shifting. But Josh has just jumped from a majority to a minority and it really makes me puzzled. In the heat of the moment there, when someone tells you something at Tribal, Haley, how much weight can you give to it? Do you just have to go pure instinct? Because you don't have much time there and the heat is on. How do you even determine who's telling you the truth? I think it depends who it's coming from. What do you think their motivation might be in telling you? And you don't have long to figure all of that out. It's really hard. You just take a punt. You go with your gut of what you feel like is right in that situation. But I think that the fact that Sam didn't play it doesn't tell us that her gut instinct was right or wrong. I think it tells us that they were ready for a kamikaze moment. Yeah, also maybe the information that they think whoever they trust may be incorrect as well. I mean, she seems to be searching from him. Like, why are you saying that? I think Sam knows that Josh has flipped and Sam has made the decision with Mark to prioritise who is the most likely winner in real time. It was an extremely dramatic moment. It happened. We've lost Sam and um, now we have this exciting end game and I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah, it's going to be riveting to see. Sad to see Sam go. You're right. She's been an incredible character and made some massive moves, some Survivor historic moves. Time for one of our favourite parts of the show. It is World of Survivor with Shannon. Our resident expert dives deep into the history of Survivor. Today we're talking ties and drawing rocks. And I guess the impetus of it was we saw it happen at the end of the Survivor auction where both Mark and Geordie bid for the same item with the exact same amount and so they had to draw rocks. It's an old Survivor favourite, isn't it, Shannon? And it's not just used at auctions. It gets used at the pointy end. We're talking about when a tribal council vote goes to a tie. Yeah, in terms of ties at an auction, that's something we've seen since season 28, where Tony and Spencer both bid on an advantage and had to draw rocks for it. And this became so gamey that by season 30, I think US show thought maybe that the auction would become just all about people bidding on rocks for advantages. And the auction has actually been retired for that, among some other reasons, since season 30 in the US. And we're very, very lucky to get it in these international franchises because it's always a favorite. But I think as well, we saw this week the power of rocks, the power of looking to a tie when we had that 3-3 and then a 4-4. I think that kind of pressure, that can be really debilitating 
in the game as we've seen through Survivor history. So we saw there at an auction, the drawing of rocks to solve a tie. But when it gets even more dramatic, of course, is when it happens at Tribal Council. There was even talk in one of the episodes this week about that happening if there was a tie, a split vote, and no one is prepared to switch sides. Can you talk a bit about when that happens at Tribal Council, when we first saw that and how it sort of evolved? Yeah, so the evolution of a tie in Survivor history. At the beginning of US Survivor, when two people had the same amount of votes, it would go to a revote. And if that couldn't be decided, then it was based on who had the most votes prior to that tribal council. Then it went into things, this is all in the first couple of seasons, but it went into things like a trivia competition. So we saw a lot of ties because there was these easy ways to break them. So we saw from season four, the genesis of this idea of rocks, which became that we're going to have no more ties. We're going to make it really, really hard on you. And what's going to happen is eventually the two targets, they're going to be immune. So they actually get safety in that way. If you've won individual immunity, you'll be immune. And then what became, if you have an idol or an idol played on you, you'll be immune too. And then everyone else will draw rocks. All the other people who didn't flip on that plan will basically be punished for it. So we've very, very rarely seen ties since then because people don't want it. We saw it in season four and we saw it in season 27, season 33, and in season six of Survivor South Africa. So it's always really exciting because if you're willing to put your entire game in the hands of a bag and what rock you draw out could be your fate and how you go to the jury or to go out of the game. That's a pretty big play. And it means that the the strategy at that point is so tense that no one will flip. And it's always really, really exciting when it happens. So the pressure of not going to that, as we might've seen this week, that as well can be completely dramatic and also what really affects the game. We've even got a bit of local history here as well, haven't we? AK sort of weaponized the idea of we're going to rocks. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that a lot. So a really famous example from the US was at the merge, Coach convinced Cochrane to flip on his entire tribe. He buried his entire game because he didn't want a one in seven chance of picking a rock and going home. And this is why it is such a daunting mechanism. But we saw as well what what I was talking about with Australian Survivor All-Stars, when Jackie flips in that David spot and takes it to a 4-4, the minority are very strong, like we are going to go to rocks. And we see the majority who so desperately don't want to go to rocks that they pile on that pressure. They play either to protect as much of their numbers as they can. They vote for Jackie because she's the number that most people would be okay with just kind of selling down the river because she had been in that swing position, not really a part of either side. And then Sean promises to work with the minority if they don't go to rocks. She signs a bunch of checks that she could not cash because they were false promises to get out of that situation. And it is brought back to her by AK in the final tribal council. So I think we see how powerful it can be when someone is in that desperate situation of not wanting to go to rocks. It can actually doom their entire game and has multiple times. Do you think part of the beauty of Survivor is that because it's been going for so long, all these game mechanisms have been refined to the point that we know how effective and how intricate they are now and they just become such a, an effective and fascinating way to play at every level? Yeah, for sure. I think Rocks is a great example of that. Something as well with like the immunity idol. It took them a few seasons to be like, play it before the votes, play it after the votes were read, and then finding where the power felt fair. Rocks is exactly like that. It is the perfect mechanism for pushing people to make a damn choice, you know, like don't sit on the fence. Don't let it go to a tie and get chosen by trivia. You have to now really put yourself in the firing line if you're going to ride for your alliance in a tie. That's why it very rarely happens. If it does, those people have to be set on those numbers and think they gain rest in those numbers. 
to put their hands in a bag to decide their fate. And if not, they might flip and they might make a losing decision in that way. So the pressure we've seen from that, even when it doesn't go to rocks or to get those moments is always just impeccable TV and rocks for that reason is a brilliant mechanism. Hayley, George, did it ever cross your mind? Were you ever in a circumstance or headed towards a point where you thought that might be on the table and you thought you'd consider? Yeah, of course. We we used to think about rocks because at the merge part of the game on Brains versus Brawn, right before Chelsea was medivaced, the numbers were split in terms of original brains and original brawn. I was willing to go to rocks. I'm not sure everybody else was on my tribe, but it's part of the reason why Juicy Dave, I think, decided to flip to the Purgatory 3 minority. He wasn't willing to play Russian roulette and he decided to not risk it. Yeah, what, like I was in a minority position um, at Merge and George was in the swing and he was willing to go to rocks. So, of course, when you're in a minority and there's nothing you can do and you feel like you're a target of the minority, rocks is not a bad option. Like, otherwise, if you're in a majority, you do not want to do it. So, yeah, I think that we were in a position where we would have because it was the last mechanism that we had left to pull. But rocks is fun. There's nothing more exciting than the thought of picking out your destiny out of a bag held by JLP. So hopefully we get to see it one day on Australian Survivor. Yeah, we've seen it a lot in that late game. I want to clarify that the final four, the tie is obviously making fire. But before then, um, it's usually in that late game. It's usually when like you know the dynamic so well that you want to just really, really strongly stick with them. The most exciting example, I think, is we saw it happen in episode two of Survivors of Africa Philippines. Imagine meeting these people not even a week ago and you're willing to put your hand in a bag for them. And that moment pretty much put Survivor South Africa on the map. So yes, rocks forever, amazing mechanism. And even in the effect that it possibly had on this week, I think there was a lot of intrigue there. Time now to hand over the reins to Hayley, who caught up with one of the heroes of this year's Australian Survivor, the woman herself, Sam, who was eliminated this week. I am joined today by someone who is going to be going down in the history books by making one of the craftiest plays in Survivor. Samantha Gash, thanks for coming and talking on Talking Tribal. Oh, thank you very much. I'm really excited to be speaking to you, Hayley. So what is it that made you want to return to Survivor? Because this wasn't your first rodeo. It wasn't. Um, we had really put Survivor well behind in our memory books, fondly because it had literally transformed our life personally. But when we kind of got the phone call and it was this theme in particular, and we're like, oh, we get to return together. Oh, no, we destroyed each other's games last time. And it was kind of like this opportunity for personal redemption and maybe Survivor game redemption. And I don't know, we just thought to be able to do this together was a pretty special opportunity. You know, the doors don't necessarily get knocking twice and you also don't say no when it happens as well. Yeah, I can imagine that would be fantastic because part of the issue the first time was that you were a couple. But now everyone's a couple, so I kind of take away that threat. Yeah, we did think that that would lower our threat level, everyone being like that. But um, obviously we really analysed what we had done wrong last time and really tried to pivot into an entirely different direction. It was definitely a different game this time around. How hard was it when Mark had to choose which tribe, a tribe swap, and he chose the other tribe? Oh, okay. So the, the first moment of reaction was completely emotional and personal. And this is the thing, like Survivor is a head and heart game. And, you know, you can't always be so calculated. Like it was a guttural response. On top of it, Chrissy was next to me and she was like, oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> she was gutted. And then I, it took probably about 15 to 30 seconds where I'm like, no, we don't want to play together. Like that was our plan all along. 
But I noticed because I had been emotional, Jonathan was focusing on my emotion versus Mark's strategic play. And I was like, oh, I need to lean into this. And I also needed to look more upset than Chrissy. So it became this really interesting thing of like, you know, she was holding my hand. I hadn't met her. I'm like, this is a bonding opportunity. Let's lead into this. And um, but I did look at my tribe and I thought we're going to go to tribal council a lot in this swap. And that was the truth. But um, I was lucky I was able to kind of dig deep into relationships and create new ones really quickly. The moment when you took Jesse's idol was arguably one of the most epic moments we've ever seen on Survivor. Talk me through how that felt for you. Well, how did it feel? Um, Really hard. I think this whole game for me was very head and heart. I'm an emotional person. I'm not a paranoid person, but I am emotional. And I loved playing with Jesse. We played for, you know, I'd say till the merge, we were inseparable in terms of our head connection. We spent a lot of time physically separated, but on day two, Jesse approached me and he goes, I want to play the game with you. And I was like, this is a really unlikely pairing. And I think we're wired a really similar way. You know, we both come from athletic backgrounds. He's a triathlete. I'm an ultra runner. And I think we see things similarly, but most importantly, it was such a pleasure to be able to talk strategy with someone and weigh up options without thinking that they were going to leak that information to someone else. So it was a great partnership until we got to merge. And Jesse couldn't have run further away from conversations with me and towards Geordie. And so although I still felt connected to Jesse, I could see that he was being, as we both were, I was being torn to Mark's game and he was being torn to Geordie's game. Therein lies the challenge of blood versus water, hey? And the move kind of was kind of progressing to get Josh out and Jesse and Geordie were really pushing it. And I was on board with it because of my relationship with Jesse and Mark was going to come on board because of my relationship with Jesse until it found out that Geordie had told Josh and Jordan that Mark had an idol and that flipped everything on its head because as much as I loved and respect Jesse in the game, I'm playing with my husband. And, you know, Jesse and Geordie are like a pair. They're one in the same. And so in that moment, it changed. But I guess that leads to the idol because I knew that Jesse was going home. Geordie had got immunity. And I also had feelings that he had a clue. And I was like, guys, like they've got a clue and they're looking for an idol. This could change everything up. And Mark had promised Josh that if Jesse played an idol, Mark would play his idol for Josh. And so I was thinking, I don't want that to happen. I don't want Mark to lose his idol for Josh. So I want to know what's going on. So at least I can be prepared with the situation. And I spent like 10 minutes stalking Jesse out in the bushes. And I was wearing that ridiculously bright yellow sarong. So I was commando rolling in the bushes. And then when I came across him, again, I was kind of happy for him. I was stoked for him that he found an idol, but it was all very moment by moment. And my desire initially was to get him to bury the idol by the well. But then it just, you know, we ended up going to tribal council and I just am there to play moves. I wanted to be, um, I didn't want to be risk adverse. I wanted to kind of really be willing to lean into something that could throw everything up, which it clearly did. But I have no regrets because I think Survivor is a game about risk and being bold. And I loved your game, Hayley, because I thought you were exactly that. And I wanted to kind of try and continue female strategic players and be that. I think it's important for people to know that like Jesse was going home already. And so the question is, did I let Jesse go home with an idol in his pocket? Because he'd already confirmed that he was not going to play the idol. 
or should I then take that into my possession and use it to my advantage? And I think I really do believe eight out of 10 times people would have taken the idol. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would have taken the idol. It's it's very fast thinking the way you did it. Yeah. yeah it was very effective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I want to know about once you have the idol and Jesse is gone, then you have to continue this lie that you don't have it. And that is a really complex thing to do in a game like this. How did yeah. that feel and how did you go about navigating that storyline? So when I came back from Travel Council and realised that Jesse hadn't revealed to everybody because I was prepared for that and then when he didn't, I'm like, okay, well, that takes away a little bit of the credibility once Geordie eventually reveals it. I mean, I, was, I knew that he would eventually reveal it in some way. He didn't know when. And then I thought about this proposal that I would offer Geordie and it was like maybe we should work together. And hand on heart, I was open to working with Geordie. One thing I'll say about my game is I think I was one of the most fluid players in the game. I was willing to change all the time, be a player moment to moment, and I kind of had wanted Josh out for a while. So the idea of then working with Geordie and maybe using the idol to get rid of Josh was definitely a possibility. But Geordie had told people within 12 hours that I had that idol. Weirdly enough, no one confronted me. No one confronted me, so I had no confirmation of it, but I was pretty sure in my gut that I had. And I think this is kind of where this paranoid comment went in because imagine you've got this alliance. You know that they probably have heard that you have an idol, but no one talks to you about it. And so you're like, oh, what's going on now? Um, And so it took two tribal councils before it got revealed by Geordie. So that's when I was like, okay, publicly this is out. And Mark and I had already said, I mean, I actually said to Mark, I don't think we should tell anyone. Let's just go with this. We definitely can't tell anyone until Geordie's out because then he becomes vindicated and then the alliance will move to him and I'll be the least trustworthy person. And actually no one asked me. The only person who ever asked me straight up, do I have the idol, was Shay after purgatory. And I had already worked out that Shay would never vote for me if I was in a final three because her game was much more about honesty. And I probably wasn't, that wasn't my ammo. And so I just told her, no, I don't have it. But no one else ever asked me. So I really let people lead their um, uncertainty about it. But I never led the conversation of like, I don't have the idol. And no one really asked me and no one asked me to open up my bag. So, you know, people think that I was lying a lot, but actually I let people lead the narrative and I just kind of like affirmed it. So you didn't ever feel like you were going to get caught up in that lie at any point? Oh, I'm trying to take myself back there because it was, I mean, at that point in the game, I hadn't eaten much food and it's a bit of a blur. Did I feel like I was going to get caught up with it? Eventually it was going to get revealed. And so my whole thing was I need to play the idol in a way that outweighs the lie. And that's what weighed heavily on me the whole time. I was never going to play the idol to save myself. I needed it to either save someone and make a big move in the game that would propel me forward because of the trust that it would create or ultimately what I did was I sacrificed myself and left the idol with Mark and now it wasn't his lie I felt like I could take the fall for the lie and he could kind of carry on with the two idols so that was kind of what I was really thinking about the whole time like how do I play this in a way that if I ever got to final tribal I could explain a clever move When KJ played her advantage, we saw everyone scrambling. Did you think that you were a goner that night? Oh, I mean, 
talk about a doozy of a situation to have myself in. We'd obviously already decided to leave the two idols at camp. And, you know, I think a lot of people are saying, oh, it's such ego and confidence they were leaving the idols at camp. I think it's no ego. I think it's no ego saying I'm willing to leave this game. Mark's willing to leave this game because we think it's more powerful for us as a unit to have one person with two idols. But it was just like, I was like, how am I going to do this? I'm definitely going home. Of course, they're going to vote me out because I don't have the idol. Maybe they're going to do a 2-2-2. And so my first thought was I could save myself by writing Jordan's name and it would be then three on Jordan if they were doing the 2-2-2. And then I was like, you know what? Going back to camp and telling Josh that I wrote Jordan's name down is just definitely going to break all trust. And I think it still then is going to be better with Mark having two idols than me coming back betraying Josh in that kind of way and also betraying Jordan on the jury. And so I was like, no, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to go Geordie and I'm just going to play their bluff. And like Mark passed me, good thinking on Mark last minute too. He passed me this, you know, thing, um, his little like wrap, his tiny wrap that was definitely not good for warp. So literally this is the only thing that it was good for in the game. (laughs) And I just put it in my jacket and I like was so over the top and dramatic. I'm just like holding it like, oh, at least I'm safe tonight. I got up quickly and spoke to the three of them because I wanted to see how they reacted. This is what I call creating chaos to see how people react. Now, I didn't think that they were going to work with me. I wanted to see if they were going to flinch or start to talk to each other. So the way I see it is I was pretty convinced Jordan was going if they didn't do a 2-2-2 because they wanted a sure thing that night. And because they didn't talk, that's what kind of gave me a little bit more confidence that that was the, the case. Yep, that makes sense. It makes sense on their behalf yeah. to do that. I still think a two-two-two would have been so much better, but I think they didn't a hundred percent have trust in what Juicy was going to do, Juicy Dave. But I feel like he was very willing and ready to make that play. And you know, I don't know that. I to be honest, like some people say, the idol was the bigger move. I think the bigger move of the game was us leaving the two idols at camp, and then that kind of acting performance. <laughs> Yeah, the acting. And also, like, Mark is an amazing actor as well. Like, when he did that and passed me that thing, I'm like, Mark, stop being so obvious. And then it becomes clear that there's nothing in there. There's nothing in there. I know. I was so proud of him for doing that because I was going to act it regardless. But him doing that kind of gave me a prop. And, you know, I come from a performing arts background. So I was like, the prop helped me feel confident if I was by myself. I don't think I would have known what to do with my hands. And that might have given away that I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, that performing arts background, very useful. (laughs) Wow. So you and Mark played a very interesting game. You really played like one person rather than two people. Was that challenging? Was that the plan coming in? Definitely the plan coming in. We had our goal all along was for if we could so, so hope for someone to be at the end and someone to actually go middle of the jury. And so I guess I've delivered on my part of it. I'm literally the middle of the jury. And, you know, giving Mark two idols, like it definitely is going to get him further in the game. We had many chats about like when we said, okay, we're going to leave the two idols at camp. We said for either one of us, you've got to play them both times, like, and hope that you're going to win an immunity in that lot. But it's just, uh, yeah, we wanted to be an extension of each other. And so it was complicated at Merge because our games were very, very, very different. And it became clear that we were going to have to one of us was going to have to compromise, which means somebody was going to betray their alliance members. 
And for me, that was the most challenging part of the game. It was actually far more challenging than taking the idol because I saw the idol as great gameplay. But for me, when I essentially yielded my alliance members in favour of marks, all I kept thinking about is if I go to the end and, you know, you hear me talking about agency because I believe if you get to the end of the game, you have to talk about your gameplay and that complication of us choosing to be the same person became really challenging. And so that was my battle with my head. It's not that in a normal game of Survivor, I'm not willing to compromise. It's just that I knew the perception is that some people would say that I just slotted in with Mark and I hadn't done that the whole game. Like I played a really strong independent game going to merge with Jesse. Uh, and I just don't think the guys on Red 2.0 realized how hard Jesse and I had been working. It takes us all the way back, back to that point where Mark made a choice about which group to be in, which tribe, and a smart choice because then you maximize alliance members when you come to merge, but then a complicated choice because then at merge, you have to make that choice about which person's alliance do you favor. It was so hard. I mean, I feel like that's when I became a bit, a little bit emotional in the game. But it's because I was emotional because of my belief of what the end game requires. And I made really strong relationships in that kind of blue 2.0. I feel like when you go to battle so much, like adversity really brings people together. And so Khan, Jesse, and I and Michelle were super tight. And, you know, if I wasn't playing a game with Mark, I wouldn't have done the plays against them that I had to do. But you know, Mark, Mark and I share a bank account. Mark and I are husband and wife. As much as I adore Jesse and I adore Khan, of course, my loyalties are always going to be with my husband because we came into this game together. You know, nothing can surpass a marriage and certainly not a 30-day friendship. Yeah, yeah. And it's impressive to see you put your pride aside to help somebody else do well who, when the end game, will value both of you in that. In that. There's been so much conversation about the dynamic of Mark and I and, and criticism to maybe Mark not being compromising, me giving away my game or me being too emotional. And I think like what was Survivors like at this point of the game is like a lot of conflict and chaos. And I think Mark and I both deferred to our professional standpoint. So for me, I'm an endurance athlete and my whole like kind of motto is ego to get to the start line, adaptability to get to the finish. And Marx is as a soldier in worn-torn environments, autocratic style, simple communication, one order, follow. And so what you see in that moment is us actually going back to what are our professional standpoints. I am most likely in these moments to adapt and Mark in these, most, in these moments is less likely to compromise and to just follow a single order and not to explain it with too much depth. And I think that's what you see, like we weren't mad at each other because we know each other well enough to know how we respond in these moments. And it, it works for us in this situation. It doesn't mean in our everyday life that Mark gets his way. I probably get my way a little bit more, but it's different. Like we were playing as a unit. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, the end of the game will tell if this strategy was a good one for both you and Mark. You spoke about how it wasn't a bad thing that you are now going to be sitting in the middle of the jury. So was it ever a plan for you and Mark to both sit in the final three together? Absolutely not. That is a terrible strategy. <laughs> My gut told me it was a final three pretty early on. And so why would you split potential votes to someone in the final three? And there is power being in the jury. I mean, for sure, if Mark gets in the end, 
he's at least getting my vote. That's unquestionable. But I also have time to repair relationships with people that I played the first half of the game with, game with because the majority of people who are sitting on that jury right now are red OG and blue 2.0. And so there is time for me. I could feel the animosity. Interestingly, I was always sitting really close to the jury in like the last five tribal councils and I could feel the sting and the intensity. And when Jordan came out on that very final tribal council for me, he was furious and I was like, why are you furious at me? I never voted for you. That advantage wasn't me. But I realized in that moment, like, I need to get to the jury. And, you know, Mark can do the best that he can do. And I can look after what I need to do, which is rebuilding relationships. So, no, I definitely didn't want to be the two of us at the end. The question was, who was the best person to go to the end? And unfortunately, Mark had immunity. But on top of it, I still think it was the better play that, you know, I went to the jury. Yeah, and that, of course, answers why you wouldn't want Mark to play an idol for you on the episode where you get voted out because you want him to stay in the game with two idols. And on top of it, I still wanted the jury to know that Mark made that decision. Mm. So at the very end, you hear me saying, oh, your choice, Mark, because it shouldn't be my choice by that point. Like my gut again told me that Josh had written my name down. He wasn't speaking to me at tribal council. And like, If someone's not looking at you and not talking to you, but you're meant to be voting together, that's a sure sign they're not with you. And so Josh is calling out, Sam, play the idol. And I was like, Mark, your choice. And I just hoped that he stuck to what our very clear plan was going into that. I knew it probably made it emotional for him because it's like he was voting, playing a role in voting me out. But I'm proud that I actually was playing with so much like head at this point of the game and not heart. Like everyone wants to stay another day in the game to be able to drop your ego and go, you know, ego doesn't necessarily equate to good strategy. I mean, who knows how it's going to play out, but I, I do feel like if Mark can make it towards the end of the game, I've done the right play for him and for us. I can't imagine how hard it would be to let yourself get voted out when you know that there's an idol there. When you hope it's the best thing for the end game, it's still really hard to put your pride aside to do that. So I commend you. For- yeah, you've got to try. thinking of long game. I mean, there's one winner and there's 23 losers. And so um, if Mark's in a position to be in that final three, then hopefully that helps. Sam, what was the most difficult moment for you in this game? The most difficult moment was knowing that Khan was going home. Definitely personal relationship in the game. He had given me the immunity necklace, literally the vote before, and it was letting go of what I thought my great gameplay was pre-merge and realising that I probably better for Mark and I was to go with the other alliance. But it was hard and fighting and having a heated discussion with your husband and knowing that the world is probably Australia. <laughs> Let's say like everyone's watching Survivor. <laughs> they should. Um, but knowing that a lot of people are going to view that and being aware enough that it's probably going to get critiqued was hard. And what was your favourite moment while playing the game? Oh, the idol. <laughs> I, it's just, I mean, someone's made a reference. It was like taking candy from a kid. But like I, that moment when Jesse gave me his idol I'm just like, literally, I felt like I was above myself going, is this moment really playing out? And then going to tribal council and realizing that I'm literally about to vote him out and I'm going to keep his idol in my pocket. It was, I mean, it's kind of a survivor bucket list to make a gameplay that literally is going to spin the game on its head. And whether you like the play or not, it's been the major focus of conversation. 
Thank you so much for chatting to us today. And we can't wait to see how this all plays out. Bye, Hayley. Great chat there, Hayley. She sure played a big game, didn't she? Yeah, Sam played an amazing game, a historic game, and it was great to chat to her about it. Obviously, she's gone, but there's still more eliminations to come as we get closer and closer to that remaining sole survivor. In fact, we've only got two weeks to go until a winner is crowned. So make sure you tune in Australian Survivor Blood versus Water Sunday at 7.30pm on 10 or 10 play on demand. As always, our next episode of the Australian Survivor Talking Trial podcast will have lots of exclusive moments that you can't hear anywhere else. So make sure you tune in. Thanks for listening to Australian Survivor Talking Tribal and Network 10 podcasts.